The CFB Winning Edge podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge and pledge a small monthly amount to support our show and keep it ad-free or to access our FBS team profiles and other expansive databases. Become an annual member to receive two months free. Also, Tier 1 annual members will receive Tier 2 access. Thanks to your support, we have made many improvements over the last three seasons and have big plans for 2021. Welcome back, everybody. It's CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter, at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him on the Twitter, at CFB Winning Edge. And Xavier Trish. Follow him on the Twitter, at Xavier underscore Trish. Um, the uh, blowout and the route was on early, Nick. Uh, Alabama comes uh, down with another title, the seventh uh, championship uh, for uh, Nick Saban pretty much cementing him in most people's eyes is better than Barrett Bryant, the best college football head coach ever. Uh, a lot of people now, I didn't hear a lot of this before uh, the, the game, uh, and I thought that we had seen better Alabama teams, but this performance was so dominant that a lot of people are calling this the best Alabama team ever. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. Uh, the, offensively, obviously the best offensive uh, Alabama team ever, but um Defensively, I don't know. I I still kind of like that uh, that that what was it twenty eleven team that shut out LSU in the Natty like that was that squad was was pretty good too. So uh, your uh, thoughts on the national title game, Nick? Yeah, well, it, it uh, was a pretty dominant performance, and we talked you know last week when we were previewing the game that uh, our our uh, you know three projection models did line up on, uh, you know, Ohio State plus eight that obviously did not come to uh, fruition. But, you know, again, just sort of shows the real dominance of this Alabama team that that Ohio State, you know, looked so good against Clemson. And, and basically as far as not only, you know, our numbers, but a lot of other uh, analytics outfits and a lot of, you know, just other really smart people who know the game, watch the game, whether it's, you know, film study or, or what have you. But uh, basically, you know, there seemed to be a, a general consensus that Alabama was the best team in college football this year, obviously. I mean, you know, in the conversation uh, for the best, not just Alabama team of all time, but the best team of all time. Uh, and, and then, you know, Ohio State, despite some discussion of whether or not they were deserving because they only played six regular season games coming off the, the, you know, fairly dominant performance of their own against Clemson uh, really, I think earned the respect of, of most folks coming in. And, and I got the sense that, um, you know, there, there were certainly some who thought Alabama would, would uh, win this as easily as they did, but it seemed to me that more often than not, you know, folks expected a, a pretty good game, pretty close game. And, uh, you know, from a pure talent standpoint, teams were fairly evenly matched. Now, you know, again, putting that aside, uh, it, you know, uh, Ohio State, three and out on the first drive, uh, gave up a quick touchdown. You think, okay, they're in trouble. Then they respond. And, and unfortunately, uh, Trey Sermon went down on his one and only carry. I, I think it was a, a broken collarbone. I don't know if we got – 
official confirmation on that, but I know that's what uh, was feared when it happened. Uh, but, you know, from that point, uh, Ohio State struggled a little bit and uh, it looked like that that they might be able to, uh, you know, use a turnover as a big spark when they had a sack fumble of uh, Mac Jones deep in Alabama territory, uh, scored a 19-yard uh, drive to uh, – you know, make it 14-14 early in the second quarter. But from that point on, and, and really uh, from Ohio State's next offensive drive where they settled for a 23-yard field goal, at that point it, it basically was done. Uh, Ohio State missed an opportunity, you know, had to settle for a field goal and just could not stop what might be the best offensive team in modern, you know, college football history and in the pole era for sure. And, and certainly in the college football playoff area, you know, according to the, the numbers that, uh, that I pay attention to uh, things like, you know, success rate points per drive uh, EPA margin, things like that. This Alabama team ranks among the best of all time. And, and from an offensive standpoint, even, you know, and it's close, but, but surpassed, that team from uh, LSU last year, I, I know without a doubt when we go back and, and rerun our historical team performance numbers here in, in the next week or so, uh, this Alabama team is going to go down in history as, as the number one uh, offense of, of the CFP era, which is with our, our team performance ratings uh, measure. So absolutely dominant performance all season long. They carried it over into the national championship game. Devontae Smith just, you know, absolutely went off. The only thing that could stop him was a dislocated finger. And, um, you know, Mac Jones looked like a Heisman Trophy candidate. Uh, his stat line is is pretty unbelievable. Uh, you know, 464 passing yards, five touchdowns, no interceptions, average 10.3 yards per attempt. And, and then he and Devontae Smith connected 12 times, 215 yards, three touchdowns, just absolutely unbelievable. You know, I think Najee he had the receptions. <laughs> he had the receptions record at half. Yeah, wow. and, and and did he have a catch in the second half? I, I know that the one he it, it seemed like he dislocated his finger on was maybe the one you know he, uh, he play of note. That, that. So, right, right. And, Matt, I mean, he was six yards away from breaking Jamar Chase's uh, record. Uh, he is two hundred and twenty-one. He had two hundred fifteen, or I guess seven yards breaking at six yards from tying it. So uh, he was right there, all and literally did all of his damage in the first half. Yeah, and and, and you know, I think that uh, Najee Harris, his his performance in this game and his performance all season has a very very strong argument to be, to be the uh, second best player in college football this year. Uh, so this Alabama team absolutely loaded. The defense, you know, came around, had some hiccups throughout the course of the year, but, you know, really played uh, strong in the, uh, you know, in the playoff and, and uh, put together some good performances at the right time. You mentioned the, the dominant defenses that Nick Saban had had uh, earlier in this decade. It, it's hard to compare the two because this team is so, you know, just built so differently. Uh as just a complete offensive juggernaut, those teams were, you know, much more methodical offensively, much more, uh, you know, in the sort of old, you know, pro style. Uh, and just to see, you know, Saban uh, kind of change course, embrace this new 
you know, RPO based offense and, and the play calling from Steve Sarkeesian, uh, the, it was just uh, incredible last night or, you know, a couple of nights ago, uh, has been great all season. And his two year tenure at Alabama put together two of the top three offensive team performance ratings that, that we've ever seen. So uh, hats off to him and, and hats off to Alabama. Uh, absolutely incredible performance. Ohio State had a, a really, really good uh, year, looked great against Clemson, but uh, just couldn't match up against Alabama, especially you know defensively. Uh, Xavier, your thoughts on the natty? Yeah, I, I thought this game almost slipped on its head. Um, when Matt, uh, the, the drive that Ohio State set up for a field goal, uh, and Alabama's starting safety got sent off for targeting. I was like, well, here we go. That is the opening that I saw for Ohio State. That was the opportunity that I saw for Ohio State to take this game and make it, you know, score a touchdown here. You know, you're, it was a third and 11. They get, an, you know, they get another breath of life for a situation for them to punch it in from, I think it was about seven yards out, eight yards out, punch it in, 21-21, and now they're missing their starting safety. You can run – a different type of, you know, you can take more shots down the field, take more, you know, chances, but that field goal really hurt. It, it really set them back. I think that they had to have kept pace with Alabama at least for two quarters before they had an opportunity to go into halftime. Because who knows? Like, imagine if it was a 28-35 game when Devontae Smith gets hurt. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. it, like it, it was a situation where because of that field goal attempt and then the ensuing two possessions from Alabama, they didn't even need Devontae Smith anymore. I mean, they did it, and you can only imagine what happens if Ohio State scores, puts some pressure on Alabama to score. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. Who knows what happens from that situation if it's a 21-20 game, 21-21 game, excuse me, and we and the play calling may be a little bit different from Alabama. Who knows? But I just feel like that, that was their window. That was their window of opportunity, and you know, having to settle for a field goal, a great job by Alabama bowing their necks and, and making sure that they don't get the ball in the end zone. There went their window, and from then it was it was a race that only Alabama could win. Um, it was it was it was ugly at times in that yeah. second. Yeah, it, it was it was really ugly. You know, you you really looked at some of the things Alabama was doing, and it just felt like they were like three steps ahead of Ohio State. I mean, the broadcast the broadcast crew goes, "You really think that Ohio State's going to have to apply some pressure here, so Alabama can't get you know right before halftime." Alabama runs two screens back to back, picks up 40 yards from, you know, picks up 40 yards from both, and they score a touchdown in what seemingly was about a minute and 30 seconds. And then they almost got the ball back and scored again. It, it was like at that point, you're like, okay, this is going to be a route, and Ohio State has no answer. Yeah, it, it was, uh, it was route. I mean, I was doing my live stream. I stopped it at the end of the third. I was like, well, I mean, this game is over at this point. You know, people were logging off to go watch something else. It was, uh, it, it wasn't um, – it was a, uh, so much fun to watch Devontae Smith be so unbelievably dominant. And I don't know that I've never – I don't know that I've ever felt as bad for a college football player watching a game that I felt for uh, uh, Sean Wade. Just losing money and getting torched, and they don't give him nearly enough help. Uh, it was just kind of sad to see that. Like, just do do something else. Do anything else. Then what you're doing to Devontae Smith, hit him, chuck him, do anything, something. Uh, and, and they weren't doing it, and, and it was uh, it was a little hard to watch. But, um, you know, it, it, Alabama, absolutely dominant. Um, now, the, the next thing you wanted to talk about was the 2020 season overall. But I think a 
uh, microcosm uh, of the 2020 season overall, Nick, was the lack of viewership for this game. It was the lowest viewed game in college football championship, uh, you know, pretty much recent history, at least uh, going back to the BCS era. So, I mean, there were uh, games that were way worse than this one that were more watched. I think that's more of a overall sentiment towards sports uh, for 2020. Um, college football was the worst uh, as far as canceling games and uh, teams coming in late and just the overall structure of working through the pandemic. But um, it, it wasn't the worst as far as product out there. I thought they did a really good job of playing these games. Sure, we saw some sloppiness. Uh, sure, we saw a lot of backups playing and all that stuff, but they, they got it out there. I thought it was a good year overall, especially knowing with what all of these teams were dealing with. Uh, but I thought it, I, I thought it was uh, fairly surprising that we didn't get uh, more viewership out of this game, and this was the lowest of all time for a title game. Yeah, I mean, it. it uh, I, I personally don't pay a ton of attention to the ratings, but I did see that, that, that it was – uh, and, and something about it was right, you know, fewer people watch this than watch the semifinals, which was kind of interesting. And, and part of that might be that it was a Monday night. Uh, part of it, you know, it, it sounds like ratings are, are down for a lot of sports and in a lot of instances. Uh, it was a strange year. Uh, I certainly was glad that we had one. I, I was glad that we had a distraction each week and, and something to look forward to, something for us to talk about here on the show, of course, something for me to you know put my uh, time into. I'm not sure what I would have done with myself if uh, we didn't have a, a college football uh, season this year. Because I mean, this is is you know basically what I work on all day, all week. Uh, so it, you know, it, it it was strange. It was at times very frustrating to uh, prepare. You know, just me personally, and, and everybody had their own little. Uh, you know, journalists had different things to, to be uh, frustrated with. But, but you know, for me, it was getting together some of the matchup graphics that we do early in the week each week uh, and knowing that four, five, six, even more of those would end up getting canceled, running through, you know, all our numbers, trying to get everything organized and, and sent out to our patrons and, and then ending up seeing uh, uh, you know, those games get canceled was, was certainly frustrating having, uh, you know, we, we put a lot of work in each week in our FBS team profiles where we've got, you know, player ratings for all, uh, 13,000 or whatever it is, uh, players across uh, all 130 FBS teams. We try to take into account injuries as best we can. We try to take into account, you know, who's sitting out, whether it's a transfer or an, uh, an opt out or, uh, what have you. And it was really frustrating at times. Times when you know we would hear rumblings, oh, this team's got some COVID issues, but we don't know who it is, uh, so we can't. You know, uh, we, we have a, a, a system in place where we try to give our patrons, our, our uh, you know, our, our, our followers, our listeners, our supporters the best information available, and we we can't get it until 20 minutes before a game. And if there's you know 10 games kicking off at once, we might you know, miss here or there. We might not get, you know, we might see it late and, and all of that. And, and it was, it felt frustrating to, to never be able to catch up and feel like we uh, were, were able to provide the very best, uh, you know, information just because it, it 
sometimes wasn't available to us. So we couldn't, couldn't pass it on, couldn't put it uh, in perspective in, in the, you know, team profiles or, or what have you. Uh, but, uh, you know, we, we also did the best we could and, and adjusted uh, when we could and, and had a good season overall from a projected point spread standpoint from, uh, you know, our, our uh, new database, our statistical database uh, we had a, a really, really good performance on over-unders this year and made a lot of improvements leading up to the year. So it was good to see, even though it was a strange season, even though uh, not everybody played, not everybody played at full strength and, and all of that, we were able to try some things out uh, and, and you know have some good ideas that we can take into 2021 and, and improve upon. So there were certainly high points, there were low points. Uh, I, I I'm glad that the season, uh, you know, ha- has come. I'm, I'm now glad that it is uh, behind us and we can look ahead to 2021, which hopefully will feel a lot more normal and, and won't have to deal with as much. Uh, you know, some people maybe didn't watch, back to your ratings point, maybe didn't watch just because everything was so weird. Uh, maybe some people, you know, were distracted by other real-life things. That, yeah, that wasn't yeah. And, right. For sure. And, you know, hopefully uh, now that we've gotten through it, we're looking forward to 2021. A lot of people out there, I'm sure, are looking forward to taking a little time off. That's not my way of doing things necessarily, but uh, I certainly understand it uh, for people who do and, and don't hold anything against uh, folks who, who need a little bit of a break. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm excited that, that hopefully, you know, 2021, we can take what we learned this year roll it into 2021, do things even better, do even more things and uh, excited for, for what's to come and what hopefully will be, uh, you know, feel a little more normal uh, college football season and, and, you know, get things back on track to where we're used to and hopefully get people, you know, more excited and, and get those uh, viewership numbers up in, in 2021 would be good for the sport for sure. Uh, Xavier, your uh, overarching thoughts on the 2020 season as a whole here. Yeah, I think this season will always go down as a weird one. Um, with, well, Funny enough, I think it's going to go down as a weird one, but I think most people will say that it had to finish that a lot of people thought it would have regardless of the opt-outs, regardless of the, the COVID situation and the cancellation of games and the postponements and the moving Alabama winning the national championship is a, is something that could have happened in any year and, you know, definitely this year, you know? So I think most people would say, even though, you know, a lot of people were saying, oh, this year should have an asterisk next to it, yada, yada, yada. At the end of the day, I think we got the two best teams in the nation in the national championship game. And I think that that's what we got. And I think that that we should take that as what it is. I don't think there should be an asterisk next to it as far as, you know, maybe this team could have got there. Yeah. Maybe Georgia could have got there. if Jamie Newman doesn't opt out. Maybe. But is there a guarantee? Absolutely not. You know, that's it's really harder to win this year. I don't like the right. asterisk bit at all for any sport. Exactly. Uh, it's harder to win this year than it ever has been. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, kudos to the players. Uh, a huge congratulations to them. Uh, I, you know, I'm only 24, and you know, following COVID protocol while you're also the big man on campus, and you know, you're you're the possible Heisman winner and you know, possible national champion. And for especially for the ones who were on teams that weren't all that successful this year to continue to follow protocol, not just for themselves, but for other teams so that they could compete, you know, and and go out there and play the game that they love. Kudos to them. Kudos to the coaches as well. Kudos to the medical staffs that continue to test. You know, at the end of the day, they got through a season during a pandemic. That mm-hmm. That is a, a feat that hopefully that's the last time I have to say that for college football. 
uh, but they were able to do it. And I think that that's an impressive thing in its own right. And, that's and so a, I, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. That, that's, that's a great point. I'm, I'm glad you said that. A lot of people made a lot of sacrifices so that uh, yes. we were able to have a college football season. And, and I know that, that they were, you know, excited to compete and, and didn't want to lose that opportunity, but players and, and coaches, and, and staff made a ton of sacrifices to make this happen. And, and we all should be very, very appreciative of that, you know, whether or not you think the, the season should have an asterisk or, or whether it was the hardest ever or whether, you know, whatever, whatever your thoughts are, if, if you love college football, there are a lot of people to thank, you know, thank for, for uh, making it happen. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. That, that's that's a, a great, great point. Yeah, I mean, just the the you know those sacrifices alone uh, to me made it uh, one of the hardest. And you yeah, know, absolutely. for uh, like I said, I was not surprised by the amount of cancellations and postponements that we had at all because you know it, it's hard it's hard to rein in no matter what you're doing. It's hard to rein in a hundred people. You know, yeah. and most rosters have at least a hundred players, not including coaching staffs and trainers and whoever else needs to be involved in the entire process and also, you know, college kids, we've all been through college, you know, it, it, uh, you feel invincible, but you're never going to die. And, uh, and you know, uh, to, to have that during this COVID, uh, stuff was not surprising to see teams have breakouts and stuff like that at all. So I think, um, <laughs> and to interrupt please. you, I saw yeah. <laughs> that's a, that that's also a great point, and something I should have mentioned is is as frustrating as it was when we would see games canceled, and as frustrating as it was to say, "Oh, this guy's out this week," and "Oh, I wish we would have known." Those teams, I don't hold it against those teams or, or those players or those programs. There were teams that I'm sure did everything exactly right, and players and coaches and everybody sacrificed. And they still had issues, you know, yeah. still still couldn't uh, get control of this thing just because it was a a, a uncontrollable thing. I mean, you know, it, it, COVID and, and uh, these sort of uh, issues that, that everybody is dealing with. Sometimes you can do everything perfectly correct. You got NBA players making $20 million a year. Yeah, NBA players making $20 million a year getting it. And and they they are going through crazy amount of protocols and do this, that, and the other thing. And they still it's still happening. So uh, you know, it's uh for amateurs, you know, amateurs, uh, I guess I'll throw up air quotes, uh, to uh to go through it and um, you know, uh, uh go through this process and um, you know, for a lot of programs to survive. So is the FCS still gonna do the spring bit? Is that still happening? There are games scheduled for uh, the first one. It kicks off on February 13th. There's like one one game that Saturday, I believe, and then uh, a larger slate of games on the, the 20th. Uh, it, it sounds like there are some uh, FCS teams that, that might be opting out who had planned on, on playing in the spring. I saw some rumblings that uh, the Big Sky, one of the, the bigger – uh, you know, uh, conferences uh, who did play, plan to play in the spring might be on sort of, you know, shaky ground for making that happen. Uh, not everybody was planning to play, but but I, it sounds like we're going to get some games starting in February. And we still have an FBS team who's going to play. New Mexico State kicks off in February. They've got they've got three or four games. So. Uh, there, there will be some games in the spring, but but maybe not as many as we expected. 
Yeah. All right. Well, that uh, that kind of wraps up our overall look at 2020. So now, Nick, we're getting a lot of the way too early top 25 lists. And, um, you know, for the most part, you pointed out a bunch of them here on the sheet that, that we look at. You know, 247 has got Bama, Oklahoma, Clemson, Georgia, Ohio State. And most of these lists have Bama and Oklahoma and Clemson at, as the one, two, three. There, uh, Oklahoma's not number one anywhere. Clemson is number one, according to Dennis Dodd and uh, the Orlando Sentinels, Matt Marshall. Uh, Alabama is number one on the rest of them. Oklahoma is two on a bunch of them. Uh, Georgia's in here. Ohio State, Texas A&M are the other teams involved. So uh, your thoughts on uh, are these valuable or are these um, – are they actually way too early? Uh, and and uh, what do you think about these top 25 lists coming out, you know, essentially the uh, a day or two after the national title game? Well, I think the first one I saw was was 247 Sports who released it the morning of the game, which was uh, maybe the, <laughs> the earliest I've seen. I've done some of these in the past for, for sites I've written for. And, and even, you know, a, a week or so ago, I tweeted out, uh, in response to someone else, kind of where I, I thought I saw our numbers going. And, and we won't have updated 2021 uh, projections until March 1st is uh, the latest date that, that we'll have. That's when, when either on or before March 1st, we will have uh, our uh, 2021 FBS team profiles available to, to all of our patrons, uh, making some final updates for 2020, which are, are almost done, will be done by the end of this month. And then uh, the whole you know, next month will be uh, updating all our depth charts and, and making some additions and all that sort of stuff. But that's when we'll get our, our first real uh, number as to who our early number one is. And those, of course, will change when we hear you know, injuries and transfers and, and things like that. But I think that, that these lists are, they serve a purpose, certainly. Um, I've been talking for weeks about how I'm, you know, looking ahead to 2021 already. Uh, I'm, I'm ready to be done with 2020. It's, you know, basically it's dead to me now. It's full steam ahead on, on 2021. So I like to get an idea of, of where folks see things going. Uh, in some instances, they are too early because we don't know officially who's going into the NFL draft, whether that's early as a draft eligible junior or third year sophomore, or whether that's, uh, somebody not taking advantage of the extra year of eligibility, which is going to be a mess for everybody to deal with uh, next year. We've got a plan for it. Don't worry. But, uh, you know, it, it's it's good to see for me where, uh, you know, some people have uh, their mindset of, of what to expect in, in 2021. I was a little bit surprised to see Alabama at the top of a lot of these lists. They're going to lose. I mean, you know, Mac Jones was a first year starter, was a former three star. Few people saw coming the year that he had, but he accounted for 98% or more of their passing yardage. Uh, Devontae uh, Smith, you know, and, and uh, uh, Jalen Waddle, who probably is going to be leaving, uh, those guys, you know, were, were responsible for 50% or more 
of the receiving yardage, which is going, you know, that's a that's a number that usually doesn't translate well uh, to to next year when you look at studies done by guys like Bill Connolly at, at ESPN on returning production. Uh, you know, Najee Harris, a huge huge chunk, uh, also played a big role in receiving yards, but also rushing production. Of course, I mean they've got a ton of five stars coming back, uh, or you know, two five stars in the running back position. More guys on the way, but you know, the offensive line they're probably going to lose. Uh, three, maybe four starters, uh, two of which were all Americans, uh, as we'll talk about. So I was surprised that Alabama's number one, but usually, you know, the national champion gets sort of the benefit of the doubt uh, heading in. At Clemson, I can kind of understand as, as number two. I think Alabama's number two uh, is kind of where I see our numbers going. I'm really, really high on Oklahoma. I, I Thought I was a little bit ahead on that, but I don't think that was the case. I probably just stated the obvious. It seems everybody uh, realizes that Oklahoma is bringing a lot back. Uh, and then, you know, it's kind of interesting to see Ohio State. You know, what are they going to lose? Justin Fields, of course. They're, they're going to lose some production at receiver. They're going to lose, uh, you know, some big names on defense as well. But they've recruited well enough, much like Alabama and Clemson specifically, uh, that it, it makes sense that they're probably going to be a top five team until further notice. So the only other team and, and that's, you know, sticking in a lot of these top fives that I think the way our numbers are, are pointing, I think our preseason number one is going to be Georgia. And we got some more news to help back that up. Uh, this week when uh, Zamir White earlier today announced that he's coming back for 2021. That one was a surprise. Uh, James Cook, who announced uh, late last week, I believe, that he was coming back. Uh, that one, I, I thought they would lose one of those guys. I thought there was a chance they might lose both of them because they're both NFL players. But, uh, you know, there's, of course, discussion in analytical circles. Do running backs matter? They matter in our formula. And, and they are playmakers, and both of those guys can do good things with the football in a variety of ways. So uh, that's important. Most importantly, JT Daniels is back. Mm -hmm. Alabama's losing Mac Jones, and, and as good as Bryce Young we think he will be, you know, he's going to be a first-year starter. Might take a little while for him to get acclimated. Clemson's losing Trevor Lawrence. As good as we know DJ Uolongalale is and will be, you know, both of those guys are five stars. Uh, still, there's a little bit of unknown. There's a little bit of learning curve that, that comes. So our, our preseason projections are way too early thoughts. And, and like these other folks, the, the way too early thoughts are kind of a starting place. Uh, I don't think anybody should write these down and point to them in uh, you know August or, or January of next year and say, hey, look how wrong you were. It's a starting point. A lot of things can change. Uh, between now and when the season kicks off and, and then, of course, when the season ends. But, you know, I, I think they're useful, and, and I think that this, for the most part, the teams that are popping up in this top five make a lot of sense. Uh, there are a couple of teams that I think might be very, very close to that top five that didn't get, uh, you know, much, if any, uh, mention in, you know, top tens even. Uh, I think Iowa State, I saw was six on a couple of, of lists. I believe Athlon, Stephen Lassen had Iowa State six. And I believe uh, CBS Sports might have had him six. Somebody else did uh, as well. And then I think Miami, and I know De'Aaron King is gone. I know they lost a, a lot of production from their pass rushers. Uh, but they've already dipped into the transfer portal for Charleston Rambo. They've already, uh, it sounds like, dipped into the transfer portal for Tyreek Stevenson. 
uh, Georgia, former five-star, was going to be a star, was a starter in the Peach Bowl for Georgia, uh, has entered the transfer portal and, and sounds like he's headed back to uh, his hometown there in, in Miami. That's not official yet, but sounds like it's pointing that direction. So I expect Miami to have that type of talent. They're returning a bunch, uh, both on offense and defense, and hopefully a, a healthy Derek King. And then they have a history of going to the transfer portal and bringing a lot of talented guys in. And that paid off this year. It didn't work out in 2019. worked out in 2020 uh, with guys like Quincy Roche and, and uh, Jalen Phillips, who were uh, going to be drafted here shortly. But uh, Iowa State returned a lot of guys uh, that could have gone to the NFL draft. And, and so I think that they – have enough of a proven track record. It sounds like Matt Campbell's going to uh, stick it out and, and not entertain NFL uh, interest uh, potentially. And and so, you know, the, the top five makes sense, whatever order it ends up shaking out. I think Georgia has a, a good shot to sneak ahead of Alabama and Clemson, but it's probably going to be pretty similar to our 2020 preseason when Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State were kind of co-number ones and based on just different adjustments uh, you know, to personnel, they kind of traded off number one all the way through the preseason. I think it's going to be like that for Georgia, Alabama, and Clemson in our numbers. But, you know, for the most part, these these uh, way too early seem like they're on the right track. And it's, I think, good as a college football community to, to kind of have an idea of where we're headed uh, at the early, early preseason. And, and I'm interested to see how our official numbers shake out once we get those here in, uh, uh, you know, a month or six weeks. Xavier, uh, your thoughts on way too early uh, top 25 lists, top five. Uh, h- how do you see these lists going? Do you enjoy them or are they eye rolling to you? Yeah, I enjoyed them for the freezing cold takes after the year where somebody had somebody <laughs> way too high and now that team is unranked. You know, I will never give Nick enough crap for having USF as one of his favorite picks two years ago. And then they ended up two and 10 and we were all looking at UC- USF like, Really, so we've you know, we've, we've made some improvements <laughs> since those days. <laughs> so I absolutely love these way too early uh, top twenty-five uh, selections. For me, I think Alabama is ranked a little too high. If I'm saying, you know, and when we say too high, maybe two or three. I know, you know, for Very Alabama, true. you know, Nick hit around the head. Is Bryce Young going to be the next Tua? We don't know yet. You know, we we. we I even was, you know, a, a part of the hype train that thought he might play this year over Mac Jones, depending on how Mac Jones started off the year. But I, 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 I that during my stream is how yeah. you know we all, especially for CFF, you know, uh, we we all were kind of saying, well, you can take Mac Jones, but if you do, you should probably take Bryce Young a little bit after that too, uh, because you know you, especially in this year where there was no uh, very little practice time leading up to stuff. Okay, Mac Jones is going to have the job, but then Bryce Young, five star, blah blah blah, should take right. over. And, and Mac Jones is going to be a first round pick in the NFL draft now. Yeah, we, we all we all came into the year thinking it was like a Kelly Bryant situation, where you've got this right, right. guy right behind him that's just poised to take his spot at some point. Uh, when we when I look at Clemson, I think Clemson has a little bit too much hype around it as well. I think we got to see DJ, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce his last name. Uh, we saw him play against Notre Dame, and he played really, really well. And then he had a pretty good game against uh, Boston College the week after leading them to a win. And I think that's got people drinking the Clemson Kool-Aid a little bit. You know, there's a very young team. I think that's also got uh, a lot of people high on Clemson, especially on the front four of their defense. They haven't had a great front four to come in the last couple of years, um, but you're almost expecting for the next great front four to come at some point because of how well they recruit. Uh, so you're, you're kind of waiting for that 
classic all-time Clemson team to come in one of the next two seasons because of the youth on their team and because of the turnover at quarterback. Um, so, so maybe not next year, but maybe 2022 might be a year where I look at them and I go, this is the best team in college football. Uh, on Athlon Sports, I think it was Athlon? No, 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 no. It was The Athletic that had – okay, I'm going to sound really dumb. It was 247. <laughs> North Carolina ranked in the top. It's hard to keep them all straight. (laughs) Yeah. As North Carolina ranked sixth on their list out of the top. top (laughs) I I had him at at seven and and I was, I was a little surprised, but not that shocked. Well, they're losing a lot though. You're losing a heck of a lot here. I mean, you know, both the receivers are poised to leave. You're losing your starter. You're losing your best running back. Uh, You know, and and we best running backs and, Exactly. Right. And as great as Sam Howell is, we've seen college quarterbacks struggle, even the great ones struggle when their talent leaves them. I mean, heck, Kyle Trask was the best court was one of the best quarterbacks in the country up until Oklahoma. And everybody said they all he lost was Kadarius Tony and Kyle Pitts for a game. And we saw how poor he looked against Oklahoma. You know, so so you know, we we have to think that Sam Howell may take a regression just simply because he's gonna have to take an entire offseason. To acclimate himself. I mean, we saw it with Jake Fromm. We kind of saw it this year with Ian Book. The lack of talent on the outside really hurt both of them, even though they were both, you know, Jake Fromm was a junior and, and Ian Book was was a senior. And you're looking at both of these guys with the pedigrees that they had. Sam Howell moving into his junior year. Is he that kind of quarterback that can transcend his talent? We'll have to see this year. I don't know. Uh, so I thought that was a little high. Um, I'm a big proponent of Georgia being a top one of the top two or three teams in the country coming into next year. I think they just bring back a heck of a lot of talent. I'm even surprised by the amount of people that decided to return. I think it was the fact due to the fact that Georgia didn't even get to the SEC championship this year uh, that you're really seeing a lot of guys come back. I think a lot of people feel a lot of guys feel like they got the raw end of the deal, especially in that Florida game. A lot of the guys that you've seen come back, Jordan Davis uh, and company, did not play in that Florida game where they probably feel like they would have made an impact if they had have been there and probably would have won that game if they had, you know, if they had been there and if JT Daniels was a starting quarterback. And that's the kind of sense that I'm getting that the the confidence around a guy like JT Daniels versus if they were relying on a Brock Vandergriff, who would have been a true freshman this year coming in, is the reason why they're coming back for a second time and really trying to give another shot at this. Um, And lastly, I don't know how I feel about Ohio State, but I'll say this much. The rest of the Big Ten doesn't seem like it's going to ever catch up anytime soon. I'm looking directly at you, Michigan. But at this rate, I can't not put Ohio State in my top five in the early predictions because when I look at the rest of the Big Ten, I go, who's next? Who is going to who's going to see this team? As long as Ryan Day is there, I get Justin Fields is gone, but this is the same team. This is the same coaching staff that was there when they were able to somehow get three quarterbacks to win a national championship. So, like, let's not sit here and act like they've had the greatest quarterback talent at Ohio State over the last, you know, five, six years. JT Barrett isn't anybody to cough and, and sneeze up. So, you know, I, I can't see anybody seeding them at the top of the Big Ten at this moment. Is Cincinnati going to be ranked high enough initially to uh, potentially get into the the playoffs, Nick, or, or is this – they're they're in a lot of top tens in 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 these selected you know way too early uh, lists. They're in a lot of top tens, and I, I think there's a chance they start in our top ten. Getting Desmond Ritter back is a big big part of that. He's going to be really highly rated. 
in our numbers because he's a you know he's a, a already a, a three year starter and he's played his way into an NFL you know potential uh, draft pick eventually and and uh, had a really really great junior year. They brought back a couple of guys, uh, especially on defense, that uh, had some NFL opportunities potentially. Uh, kind of unexpected guys uh, returning. They've recruited at a really high level, at least as far as G five, uh, you know, programs go. So they're going to be the most talented team on the field in any game they play except and i don't have their their 2021 schedule right in front of me but uh you know they're 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 going to be more talented than basically anybody they're going to play unless it's a top 25 uh, p5 team next year so you know they're they're going to have an opportunity i think and they're certainly going to enter with a lot of buzz but uh based on what's returning you know it's it's possible they get high enough they they uh, I expect our numbers and, and probably a lot of other uh, analytical outfits out there to, to see them as a legitimate, at least top 15 team, maybe top 10. And, and that might be a good enough starting point uh, once, you know, other teams lose two or three games. Maybe they sneak in. Uh, it's it's possible. I wouldn't say likely, uh, but it's, you know, they're, they're probably better positioned than any G5 team in several years you know and the the disgusted faces that xavier has been making <laughs> while here, uh, are very upsetting to me um uh xavier your, your thoughts on cincinnati clearly not going to be in on that at all well okay so my biggest issue with with, with teams like cincinnati is that when they get ranked that high is the lack of schedule and the fact that they but, don't but can we since we saw this stuff happen this year where okay. Uh, t- teams were flipping. Uh, I don't. I don't know if there are going to be rules against that. If this is going to be a pandemic, one and done, or ever. You know, we see these stupid games being scheduled out 15 years in advance. Uh, so now, now that we've had games come together within two weeks, a week, all that kind of stuff, is there potential for that to happen for these teams, or maybe before the season? And shouldn't the G5 as a group shouldn't they be looking to? the teams that know they're going to be ranked a little bit higher to schedule to play against each other to try to get a quality win. Like I think that would be smart too. So I understand what you're saying, Javier. I just think that that could possibly change. Well, I I can say, I can say definitively, I just pulled up their schedule. If if Cincinnati goes undefeated, they will. They'll get it. Yeah, absolutely. They play play Indiana. I was like, okay. And Indiana's oh. fringe top ten in a lot of these lists, and deservedly so. They're losing some pieces on defense, but they're going to be they're going to be well positioned. SMU's probably going to be solid again. Uh, uh, UCF is is you know uh, up there as far as talent goes. They're, you know, Dylan Gabriel's still there, but they're they're losing some firepower. But Tulsa had a you know coming off of last year, not going to be as good probably, but uh, still the name maybe got a little bit of of cachet this year. Yeah, Cincinnati goes undefeated with wins over Indiana, Notre Dame. It'll I think it'll be good enough. Uh, but there, you know, the the margin of error is is pretty close to zero. <laughs> and to answer your question, Scott, you said it would be a smart thing to do. So with that kind of logic. And we're talking about the NCAA. Yeah. That is a no. I'm right. sorry. Smart NCAA are like a five-year word gap. 
you know, five yeah. years from now, we'll be like, yeah, now they can do it. And so they're like, remember when we did that, guys, back in COVID? Yeah, we're going to do that now. Uh, you know, so I do think Cincinnati can make it. My only issue with them is also that, unfortunately for them, you've got two powerhouse teams playing at the beginning of the year in Clemson and Georgia. And typically when that happens, let's say Clemson loses. If Clemson runs the table and Georgia runs the table, Clemson will that one loss will not hurt Clemson enough to be yeah. under a Cincinnati team that's undefeated. That that's And when you have those big matchups like that, it hurts G5 teams because at the end of the day, you expect both teams to be undefeated. But if they do pick up a loss on the way, that's usually the opening for a G5 team, unless that opening is against another, you know, another one of the two top teams in the conference. So, uh, All right. So – Go ahead. One last point. One last point. Uh, thing that's pretty interesting to me about Alabama and Clemson specifically, uh, who've, who've had so much star power and, and firepower on offense the last few years, and both of those teams have, have really been led by their explosive offenses recently. Alabama specifically, we just talked about how they rank historically. Uh, both of those teams will, at least on paper, be – the strength will be in the defense. And, and that's something I'm, I'm really interested in. I, I wrote a little thing for Athlon after the uh, national championship game, looking ahead at, at Alabama's 2021, kind of three questions and, and uh, for the offseason, and then who do we expect to, to be back and not. And they're losing a ton on offense. But Alabama, other than probably Patrick Sertan, and then Christian Barmore is, is looking like a first-round pick, and uh, Dylan Moses. But, you know, one, one guy at each level of the defense. But – they have a chance to return everybody else. They might lose a couple of juniors in addition to that potentially, but regardless, they're going to have uh, strength on defense and it's going to be an experienced unit. It's going to be an incredibly, incredibly talented unit. Clemson's already had a couple of guys uh, who could have, you know, jumped to the NFL draft. James uh, Skowski, the experienced linebacker, uh, Darian Kendrick, who some, I know he's been on a couple of like top 50 boards, uh, for PFF and, and uh, uh, at the Athletic, I think, as well. Uh, both of those had him in, in their top 50, uh, you know, mock drafts or, or big boards. And, and uh, they're going to be, you know, stacked on, on defense, especially with all those uh, true freshmen uh, having another year of, of uh, experience on, on the, uh, you know, on the defensive front. So th- those teams, I'm really interested to see how they look differently and, and if those will be defensive minded teams again, if, if those defenses really will sort of lead those two teams uh, or if things have just moved on and, and yeah, they're the, the big stars are gone, but, but Alabama and Clemson are still, you know, putting up 50 points a game and, and the defenses, you know, are good and talented, but maybe can't keep up uh, statistically. That that's one thing that's on my mind early on. A little bit of coaching news before we're going to take a look at our uh, preseason, you know, All-American draft and then coach draft, uh, which I'm not looking forward to. But uh, anyway, uh, some coaching changes. Boise State has hired uh, a new head coach, former offensive defensive coordinator. Andy Avalos is their new head coach. Uh, This has not yet been finalized, but a little bit before kickoff of the national title game. We heard that Bill O'Brien, the former head coach of the Texans and Penn State, is going to take over as offensive coordinator uh, for Alabama uh, going into next season. So that's going to be an interesting hire for sure. Former West Virginia, Michigan, and Arizona head coach Rich Rodriguez is the new offensive coordinator at ULM. 
so yeah, I like that you pointed this out on the sheet here, Nick, that Rich Rock turned down Alabama in 2007, so they went with their backup, Nick Saban. So, uh, you know, uh, some some things work out well. And then, um, you know, we'll dive into transfers and things like that in future weeks. We've got plenty of time uh, to uh, review the offseason stuff, of course. But l- let's just talk about these uh, these coaching hires, Nick. Yeah, Andy Aglos was, uh, you know, most recently Oregon defensive coordinator, as you said, and and uh, was a former Boise State player, was the defensive coordinator there under Brian Harson before he left to go to Oregon. Uh, when the, the you know, we, we heard that Harson was moving on to Auburn, uh, uh, Kellen Moore's name came up first, Aglos' name came up uh, almost immediately after, and basically those two uh, came up, you know, right away. So it looked, you know, it was pointing in this direction. There were some other names here and there that we heard along the way. And, and Boise State had to hire an athletic director before they made this hire. So that kind of stretched things out. Uh, but on paper, makes a lot of sense. Somebody who's very familiar with the program as a player, as a coach, uh, who seems to be ready for a head coach, uh, head coaching position. Uh, so it's it makes sense on paper. Uh, we, of course, as we'll talk a little bit later on, uh, first year head coaches, it, it, it's hard to get a read on uh, at, at this very, very early stage. But, you know, it, it, it makes sense. And right now we're waiting on Marshall seems to be the last one, assuming no sitting head coaches uh, get hired by NFL franchises that that probably will end our coaching cycle and then we'll be ready for another first-year head coach draft uh, in the coming weeks. But, uh, you know, it, it, it made sense. And, and interesting to see Bill O'Brien. I mean, Steve Sarkeesian, you know, was an NFL play caller, was a former college head coach, has a very similar resume to O'Brien. O'Brien, of course, uh, was also an assistant uh, with the Patriots for a long time, so has that backup, uh, that that background as well. But working with Bill Belichick, is, of course, you know Saban has a, a, a long history with him, so they seem to be like-minded and, and seems to sort of fit the profile of what we've seen in, in very recent history of, of uh, Alabama offensive coordinators. So it sounds like it's going to be a good fit. I haven't paid a whole lot of attention to Bill O'Brien and the Texans recently. Uh, I know things didn't necessarily end well there, but it, it from my very, very far away uh, understanding, it sounds like maybe it was more on the personnel side than actually the uh, on-field. I mean, of course, they didn't win enough, but uh, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it works out. It, it, it again, looks like it, you know, on paper makes sense. Uh, but I know O'Brien, maybe, you know, there's not a whole lot of shine on his name right now so have to be rehabbed as as uh, Xavier put here in the chat another rehab job uh for Bill O'Brien which which makes sense I just thought the Richard thing was was interesting his son Rhett Rodriguez is, is announced he's transferring to ULM Terry O'Brien or uh Terry uh, Bowden excuse me uh is getting kind of an interesting group together hired the the youngest defensive coordinator in FBS a guy who's 27 uh to run his defense uh and, and then you know, plucks Richrod, who just a couple of years ago was uh, an FBS head coach, has has uh, been the head coach of three pretty big FBS programs, uh, and, and then yeah, just the alternate history. I have no idea what would have happened had had uh, Rodriguez gone to Alabama if they would have become the Alabama under Saban, or if they would have continued uh, kind of that that road of mediocrity that they were on. 
uh, before Saban I'll got go on there. I'll and say they wouldn't have been very good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, based on how things ended at, at Michigan and at Arizona for Rich. Well, Arizona was kind of rolling for a little bit, and Rich Rod got uh, – Yeah, that was more the personal stuff. stuff. Yeah. 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 Uh, but, yeah, that's true. But, I mean, he can call an offense. We saw what he did at Ole Miss, uh, what, 2019. And, and so it'll be interesting to see. At least there's some – some reason maybe to, to tune in at ULM. There are some big names there, Bowden, Rodriguez, and, and you know, we'll see. And the Sun Belt took a, a step forward in prestige this past year. ULM yeah. had nothing to do with it going 0 and 10, but uh, it, it's, uh, you know, it, it, I'm, I'm intrigued. There are some of these teams that are coming off some really rough records in 2020 that have caught my eye by some of the, the head coaching uh, and, and coordinator moves. Vanderbilt's one I'm going to be really uh, tuned into. I'm sure we'll talk about more. And and as we recap 2020 in the coming weeks, we'll be starting at the the end of the the, the ranking. So we'll be into the uh, the deep triple digits, and ULM and Vanderbilt will come up pretty pretty early on. But uh, yeah, it's just interesting to think what would Alabama what what would Monday night have looked like had uh, Rich Rod shown more interest in Alabama. And they decided not to, you know, pursue Nick Saban and, and make him uh, say yes, basically. So just sort of a just sort of a fun what if, and, and who knows what it would have ended up being. But uh, Saban, of course, best coach of all time now. So yeah, right, worked out. <laughs> right, yeah, it definitely did. Xavier, your thoughts on on these hires? Just a quick side. That what if scenario goes way deeper than that. If Drew Brees ends up going to Miami instead of New Orleans, which is where Nick Saban oh, wanted so him to much. go, yeah, it, yeah. Yeah, that, 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 that could have changed the fortunes for so many franchises, all of which I don't like. So that would have been great. But you know, my only memory of Saban outside of saying he's never going to leave Miami and then immediately leaving for Alabama, which I mean, what was the guy supposed to say, right? Like, uh, I, I, I don't, I know a lot of people in Miami were upset about that, but it's like, what's, what's the guy supposed to say? Is he supposed to say, oh yeah, I'm out of here. This is stupid. I hate this. You know, <laughs> uh, no, he, he's of course, he's going to say the right stuff. So uh, I get people are, are still upset about him in Miami, but the only thing I remember about him with the dolphins was making that lineman cry. Uh, the, the, this grown man screaming at him because he was overweight coming into camp. Saban was going nuts, you know. Uh, Saban doesn't seem like a guy that does patience very well. So uh, to just to see him yelling at that, this I I can't remember who it was. It was this enormous grown man, and the dude was crying. So I'll try to look it up while while Xavier is talking. No memory of that. <laughs> your, your, your thoughts on uh, on these coaching hires? Yeah. So I first and foremost. Nick hit right on the head. The rehab job of Bill O'Brien starts now. He'll be at a top university in three years. Book it. Just just, just book it now. He'll be the next head coach in Michigan once they fire Harbaugh. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that it's a great move for him. He needs some type of rehab after what happened with him. I mean, he'll always be remembered as the guy who traded DeAndre Hopkins for a bag of chips. But at the end of the day, you know, going off to, to Alabama uh, and under and being able to, you know, lead that team to a possible, you know, national championship or two under your tenure as the offensive coordinator is always a good thing for them. I love Rich Rod going to ULM. I, this, you know, it's not as much of a rehab job as Alabama, but this is a guy who, you know, Nick, you hit around that. They could build something at ULM, ULM and all leave off to better situations. And it, it, there's a there's a no lose situation by him going to ULM. ULM's not been good, so they can't blame him on ruining anything because there's what is there to ruin. 
And if they get good, they, him, Bowden are going to be thought of as the guys who resurrected a dying football program. So in, in either way, I, I think it's a win-win scenario for him. Uh, and, and we know Rich Rod can call an offense. He's done it several times. I'm, I'm excited to see what he does with Sunbelt because, you know, we call it the fun belt for a reason. You know, I, I'm excited to see what he's able to do in that conference uh, with all of the brilliant minds that are already there at Georgia State, at Coastal Carolina, uh, and, and at App State, and more. So I'm I'm excited to see what he's what he's doing, what he's going to do there. Uh, the Boise State hire for me, I always and we've talked about this the last two weeks. I love when a former player goes back home. I think that it, it adds uh, pedigree to the position when they do that. I think it adds an error of of understanding from player to coach. You know, understanding tradition, understanding, uh, you know, the type of respect that they deserve at the university in which they're at. And from a recruiting standpoint, it makes more sense. He's had the opportunity at Oregon to build up a, a rapport in that area, in the Pacific Northwest. And, you know, going just, I think, a state over is going to be is going to be an easier transition for recruiting uh, in that situation. Uh, yeah. By the way, I looked it up his manual right. So, uh, Manuel Wright, uh, getting screamed at by Nick Saban, uh, for coming into camp, uh, completely overweight and, and, and cried. So that's, I don't know why I remember that. It's just a, a, a funny bit, but, um, all right, let's talk about our all American teams, or you guys can talk specifically Nick about your all American teams, because, uh, you guys did much better than me. I only had three out of a full team that we picked here. Uh, Nick had the most by a lot. Nick, Nick, not only had the most all Americans, Xavier, but he also had the most opt outs. Yeah. You and I both had both really? had three. You had Caleb Fairley for Vodtech, Javon Holland for Oregon and Micah Parsons for Penn state. I had Twyman from Pitt, Sage Surratt and Jamar chase all opt out. Uh, and then he had Nick had Kenneth Gainwell, Penny Sewell, Wyatt, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, Gregory Russo and Tyler Shelvin all opt out. And you still ended up with, with the most All-Americans, Nick. So uh, go ahead and tell us about your team that you had here. <laughs> yeah, well, well, back in, in episode 50 and 51, we uh, drafted a, a you know a set of, I think, what, 20, 24, because we had an all-purpose offensive player. And then I think we had an extra uh, uh, DB slot. But, yeah, we, we did a, a full set of All-American teams and, and – you know, wanted to set aside a point for each player that was selected to an official uh, college football All-America team. And then an additional point if that player was a consensus All-American, which means they had to be on uh, more than half of five specific uh, All-American teams. And then an additional uh, point for a unanimous All-American and, and then more points, three for the Heisman winner and then one more for a national award winner. So, uh, you know, the worst it, part it about it is you had my Longhorn. You had <laughs> Joseph Osai, and he was an All-American. He was. He was an All-American. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, interestingly, the the one point I got for quarterback was Trevor Lawrence, who was only on one uh, All-American team. We all missed on Mac Jones, who was a consensus All-American. But uh, the big 
big winner, of course, was Devontae Smith. He got me nine points. He was a unanimous All-American. He was the Heisman winner, and he won uh, a couple of other individual awards as well. So that that sealed the deal. But, yes, I did end up with 21 points. Uh, in addition to that, even if I didn't have Devontae Smith, I would have won this particular competition. But I uh, had Lawrence, had Jarrett Patterson, who was on uh, one All-American team, had Wyatt Davis, uh, the offensive lineman at uh, Ohio State, who was a – Consensus All-American. Joseph Osai, as you mentioned, Dylan Moses got one All-American mention. Derek Stingley got one All-American mention. I, I think he was the first overall pick. Uh, that I don't know that I necessarily agree with. He had a little bit of a uh, step back in in terms of uh, some production and, and some, uh, you know, overall maybe resume, if, if that's the right word, similar to Sean Wade maybe. And then I had Patrick Sertan, who, who – uh, absolutely earned it i think this year so felt felt pretty good about that group we of course you mentioned the opt-outs we all had some of those uh but injuries played a role and and why we missed on a lot of these guys i did also have jalen waddle i'm pretty sure because i actually like i know i liked jalen waddle more than i like Devontae smith I, I probably drafted him uh first uh but he had of course some injuries it was great to see him back on the field uh, during the national championship game by the way and, and while we were in the text chain uh Xavier mentioned how and mentioned it in the show last week how they could use him as a uh decoy and and that worked out I think uh, a couple of times as well but it's good to see him catch the ball and, and run as well but uh Tylen Wallace was banged up at times Pat Firemuth my tight end was banged up uh and, and then opted out late uh but uh you know Nick Bolton I think maybe got snubbed on on an all-american list or so he, he probably I think uh, if I were going to uh, uh, say one of my guys who didn't get an All-American nod that should have, might have been him, and then Richard LeCount, you know, the Georgia safety, uh, if he had been able to, you know, healthy enough to play but had a, a car accident, it was good to see him uh, for a play at, at, in the uh, Peach Bowl get get back on the field, and, and he'll be on to the NFL draft. So overall, you know, it, it was uh, uh, weird. It was weird to, to go through and see who got, uh, who opted out and, and didn't play at all uh, just, you know, 30, 30 shows ago, how different co the college football landscape was. But we definitely missed on some big names. Mac Jones, uh, Davion Nixon, the Iowa uh, defensive lineman who uh, had some some preseason awards, kind of came out of nowhere. Zayvon Collins, unanimous All-American linebacker at Tulsa, was yeah. uh, a huge, huge player. Jeremiah Wosu koromoa at Notre Dame. I mean, we we had some misses. Landon Dickerson was basically, you know, most people thought the best interior offensive lineman in college football. Uh, Tula uh, Noah Hufanga, the USC safety, was probably my favorite player to watch all season. Uh, and then, uh, you know, a freshman who ended up coming uh, on as an All-American, Brandon Joseph of, of Northwestern. So it's fun to, to look back and see some of these guys that we didn't expect. Fun to look back and, you know, see some of the guys maybe we did. Uh, but, uh, yeah, felt, you know, it was good to good to chalk this one up in the win column because uh, the first year head coach certainly certainly was not. I think I finished third in that one. Uh, well, um uh, we could have Xavier combined our teams and still lost to Nick in, in points. Ten, we, we, I had ten, you had nine, he had twenty-one. So um, I, I did beat you, so I'll take a little solace in that. Yeah, but uh, you had more All Americans than me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Enjoy that because <laughs> I, uh, I shouldn't have gone out on the limb and taken Sam Ellinger. I, I was hoping that he would prove me right. About six weeks into the season, I was like. 
That was a mistake. Uh, Chuba but the only the only other one that would have gotten any points is Mac Jones, and and that would have been pressure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know what can I say, man? I didn't. Maybe who knows? Who knows? If Ohio State played their actual amount of games, maybe Chris Olave gets on there. I'm just saying that's the only one I'll actually argue about. Maybe he gets on there if they had to play the, a lot of games that they were slated to on the begin to begin the year. That's the only guy I think out of my entire team that could have changed his fortunes. Um, obviously, George Pickens was hurt most uh, off and on. Uh, Chuba Hubbard had a down year for his respects. Uh, Travis Etienne, same thing. So, uh, but. Yeah, Cal Pitts. Other than other than Najee Harris and Alex Leatherwood, uh, I mean, the, the, all three of those guys had four points, and only Devontae Smith had more. So, so you know, yeah, that, that, that was a good that was a good thing. I mean, Devontae uh, Smith was obviously the biggest one, and so. Eric Stokes at Georgia was only listed on one All American team, but that was you surprised me. I remember uh, mm-hmm. I I had Richard LeCount in mind, and and yeah. as you were saying who you were going to pick, we're talking about a Georgia DB. And I was surprised when you said Stokes. I did not expect an All-American season from Stokes, but hey, he got it. So, uh, well, I, I I love Scott's Max. I, I forgot about his Max Borgie selection. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, Bo- Borgie did not play. So <laughs> another injury issue. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Not an opt out, but I mean, uh, I was asking, I was asking Nick before. I was like, how many Big Ten and Pac-12 players even made this list? list right. Yeah, be, because they didn't play enough games. So, and there's a lot of voters that counted that against the the kids, which I don't think is right. But you know, uh, it was a weird year. So we'll chalk it up to that. As far as the um, as far as the head coaches go, uh, I know I came in dead last in this one. Nick, I don't know what you're talking about. Didn't you win oh. this one? <laughs> no, Xavier so, won. Xavier won. Oh, yeah, that's right. He, uh, uh, no, wait a minute. Uh, I have, he has, oh, he has more points. Okay. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I was terrible in this one as well. I had Norvell, Leach, Clark, Rain, Hope, Scott, uh, Doral and Arroyo, obviously, uh, Arroyo got me no points as did Ricky rain. Uh, you know, uh, Arroyo won no games rain, uh, didn't play for old dominion. Uh, not as bad as Norvell though. Norvell got me negative two points. So way to be, uh, I thought he was going to improve Florida state and that did not happen. I think I killed Xavier there. Um, so, uh, Clark obviously, uh, was huge. Nine and three got me seven points. But not a, not a great year for me, so I will just pass this torch right on over to you, Nick, and be done talking about it. Yeah, well, so uh, this was way back on episode thirty-seven. We we drafted uh, first-year head coaches. There were twenty-four of them, and and the scoring, the way we set it up back when we expected a normal college football season was uh, you would get one point for every win the, that each coach led his team to. You would get two points for every win improvement. So if a a team won four games in 2019 and that team won six games in 2020, uh, you would get four points. So two points for each of those additional wins. And then if a team had more losses in uh, 2020 than they did in 2019, we would subtract a point. So that's what happened. Uh, Like you said, Norvell had negative two. That's because Florida State lost nine games this year and actually uh, only lost seven in 2019. That was a rarity uh, that, you know, of course, most teams played fewer games. So as a result, lost fewer games. So there were some who really came up short in 
the amount of wins. We didn't have very many uh, coaches uh, lead their team to more wins overall this year because there were fewer games, but very few actually lost more games. Uh, my, I had only the one side. No, I, I tied you for the worst pick. Uh, though he was not, you had, you had the first overall pick who ended up tying for the worst pick. Uh, (laughs) but I think we all agreed at the time he was the consensus number one. Uh, but I, I did pick Dave Aranda with the 20th overall pick. Uh, and he ended up putting up negative two points because Baylor finished two and seven. Uh, so had, had, uh, what, nine fewer, uh, wins and, uh, Four more losses. So that that one was a, a pretty bad one. The best point getter was sort of the second to last pick. I actually had the best overall point getter, uh, UTSA uh, for for uh, trailer. Uh, ended up leading UTSA. They were four and eight in 2019. They were seven and five this year. So that was three additional wins and three fewer losses. So that, that was a pretty good pick, but I did go through and because things were so weird because of the, you know, uh, the schedules ended up so much different than we expected. I did run uh, the win percentages, all of us, uh, our collection of teams. uh, And I guess this is just more of a, a comment on first year head coaches than it is on us maybe, but all of our win percentages went down. So the team that Scott selected had a 409 win percentage in 2019. That team had a uh, 391 win percentage uh, in 2020. My team was 490 in in 2020, had a 474 win percentage in uh, in 2020. And then Xavier's team that he drafted had a 466 win percentage in 2019. 453 uh, this year. So uh, all of us ended up with a losing record. All of us ended up with a lower win percentage uh, in 2020 than they did in 2019. And only one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine coaches of the 24 actually improved their team's win percentage from 2019 to 2020. Uh, Scott had one of those, uh, Carl Durrell at Colorado. Uh, I had four and Xavier had four. Mine were uh, Danny Gonzalez at New Mexico. That was just sort of a fluky thing. They lost two games that no one had expected them, or excuse me, won two games that no one expected uh, at the end of the season. Uh, Jimmy Lake at Washington, uh, you know, three and one. Kalen DeBoer had a three and three season at Fresno State after uh, taking over a four and eight team. And then uh, Jeff Trailer at UTSA, as we discussed. Uh, Xavier, good first pick with Lane Kiffin. Greg Schiano, good pick, second pick there in the the the, the turn in the in the second round. Uh, Sam Pittman ended up being a good pick, and Jeff Halfley, Boston College, probably one of the most impressive first year head coaches in my opinion. Uh, this year was was Jeff Halfley, the job that he did uh, at, at Boston College. I didn't see coming because he was uh, you know one year defensive coordinator at Ohio State and just basically in the NFL for a long time before that. Uh, for about a decade or so, and, and then had been at Rutgers under Shiano actually uh, prior mm-hmm. to that. But I uh, thought that was a great pick, but interesting exercise. Kind of weird how it, it worked out, of course, with uh, obviously the, the change in uh, the season. But Xavier put us to shame. He, you know, 39 points. Uh, I had 25, and then Scott 17. So congrats to Xavier on this one. And, uh, and uh, yeah, so Scott. Uh, you get the first pick in, in the next draft we do. Yeah, I guess so, huh? So I, I don't know if I want to be first pick. I'm probably just going to wait for that. Javier, congrats on your uh, dominance here in the head coaching one.
yeah, you go with the safe picks, guys. Go, go, go safe. Kiffin was a safe selection. Uh, Shiano, they couldn't have been any worse. I just, I was like, no way. I thought I was doing that with Florida State. <laughs> you thought Florida State was going to be, what, what were they going to give you? They going, yeah, they were six and seven. I thought, I thought they were going to be better. <laughs> they had, they had uh, Terry coming back. They had Wilson coming back. Yeah. Well, Terry team. didn't decide what he was done. I know. Yeah. So, but we didn't know that. This was, yeah. this was. January. <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we yeah we drafted that one real early before the pandemic or anything, and then as soon as I saw Marvin Wilson tweeting, uh, yeah, Norvell hasn't talked to us about anything. He said he just talked to mm. us about. That was when I was like, maybe that wasn't a great pick. Scott um, Scott's pick looked great week one. I mean, the Mike Lee selection was amazing, amazing for the first week of the season. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah I, I was actually a little excited for that pick after that game, and then obviously uh, all downhill. So. Yeah. Well, it, it's a it's a tough spot when you're you know you picked Ricky Ronnie, who I thought was a really good pick. I thought Old Dominion uh, had you know they were one and eleven. Uh, they they brought in former five star Ricky Slade, who I still really liked, and, and Penn State really could have used this year uh, at running back. And, and uh, had you know it's a it's a pretty fertile recruiting area. We'll talk a little about Old Dominion in, in, in the next week or so, but uh, to start with an automatic zero is kind of tough that so it was you know it, it was it was difficult and then you got stuck with the last pick which i i guess all three of us had a good read on with uh with uh Bronson Royo at, at unlv former oregon offensive coordinator that that you know got off to a little bit of a rough start uh he's recruiting really well so hopefully that'll be be uh, moving forward my first i was i remember thinking i was so smart that steve adazio uh, was inheriting a a talented Colorado State team that you know he obviously there were there were reasons to uh, that that people complained about him in the past sort of the way he operated his offense and, and things like that but you know I was thinking hey that Boston College team wasn't super talented and he won uh, and Colorado State is is the second or third most talented team in the Mountain West it's going to be great but obviously you know they had Warren Jackson knocked out they. Uh, had some COVID issues, only played four games, and and it wasn't looking great. He had some similar player comments to what Mike Norvell had, and things like that. So uh, our our first picks uh, didn't didn't look super smart. Xavier definitely got out of the the uh, gate uh, well with Nick, Lane Kiffin and and Shiano put us to shame. Was on the- now we, was- we he scored seven points with his first pick. We scored negative one combined. <laughs> I was doing the same thing Nick was doing with the Adazio selection in like what is that the fifth round with Taggart sixth round I was like there's no way he ruins FAU right this is a two talent of a team for him to go in there and have a worse year I was yeah. all <laughs> yeah yeah but you did that with the sixteenth pick I did it with the second pick so. such as life like like uh, like like Nick just said all of our our first year coaches uh, had overall worse records than they did. Uh, the year before, which I guess is to be expected. But uh, that is going to wrap it up for us today. Uh, we'll be back, of course, next week. Uh, you know, we're this is a bow that we're putting on 2020. So uh, we'll review a little bit more of 2020, but uh, going to be focusing on 2021 moving forward for the most part. And, uh, you know, just, just get into moving forward and onward and upward. So um, uh, that is going to wrap it up for us. Remember, like I said before, Follow us on Twitter for me 
at Bogman Sports, at CFP Winning Edge for Nick, and at Xavier underscore Trish for Xavier. We'll see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge. Mm-hmm.